The Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome back to the X-Zone, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell. Peter Wolford is my guest this hour. He is the author of The Genesis Grid, www.genesisgrid.co.uk. And uh, last time we had Peter on the show, we were talking about a um, presentation that he was going to be given at, uh, at a university. And uh, first of all, Peter, welcome back to the show. How did the presentation go at the university pertaining to The Genesis Grid? Thanks, uh, Rob. Yeah, it went very well, actually. And... Uh I chose a university, of course, because what I'm out to do is to get more academic reaction to the book. Um, on the website, there are a number of uh, reviews, some by academics, mm-hmm. PhD-qualified people. But I wanted to produce more of those. I wanted to get more uh, reaction, and that's why I chose the university. What was the reaction, Peter, from the people who attended, and what were some of the questions that you were asked? Very interesting. I found actually that the audience was very accepting of the discovery. In fact, I suppose when you present it in slide form in a period of over a period of 60 minutes, it has such an impact on people mm-hmm. that even if they're familiar with the material, as several of the audience members were, they all seem to be pretty bowled over by it and seem to accept it completely, which was interesting because at least two of them were what you could call dyed-in-the-wool Trinitarians. And uh, as a result, uh, what I saw them doing was holding two contradictory ideas in their head at the same time. I found that very interesting. Um, I think that um, as time goes on, people can perhaps come to terms with the fact that they are believing in contradictory things. But clearly the discovery proves what is evident from the Bible anyway. Peter, what were the... What were the two contradictory uh, contradictory concepts that the people were holding? Well, on the one hand, they were believing that the Bible presents a Trinitarian picture of God, Mm -hmm. um, because they have always believed that. But on the other hand, they're embracing the discovery that I have made, which only emphasizes the fact and reiterates the fact that that model is false. Uh, Not that the purpose of the presentation was to you know, in any way convince mm-hmm. people about the Bible one way or the other. It was a discovery, it was, it was an explanation of a scientific discovery about a pattern in the Bible. For, for many of our listeners who are just joining us for the first time tonight, Peter, let them know, if you can, in a, an encapsulated version of a minute, what the Genesis Grid is about, so that when we come back from the commercial break, we can get right into the meat of it. Yes. I suppose you could sum it up as saying that it unravels the mystery of the eclipse. The eclipse is formed by the two heavenly bodies, the sun and the moon. Mm -hmm. I have proved that these are 
secret symbols of the two deities mentioned in the Bible. And what I've said is the Genesis grid pattern is proof that the Bible was inspired by someone or something. The Bible was, but what about the other religious books that are that present cases for other religions in the world? How does the Genesis grid affect them? I don't think it does affect them. I mean, I've read the Quran, for example. Mm-hmm. It bears no comparison to the Bible in its scope in terms of either its size or the enormous range of concepts that are advanced by the Bible and, of course, the very detailed history seen in the Bible. So, um, you know, if anybody wants to come forward with a pattern about that book or any other holy book, then I'd be very interested to see how that pans out. And I think uh, once you've absorbed the all of the details of the Genesis grid, it's quite obvious that nothing but a very enormous and wide-ranging book could possibly conceal such um, an amazing and... Uh, um, sophisticated scheme. Stand by, Peter. You and I have to take our first commercial break. Exonation. Peter Wolford is my guest. He's the author of The Genesis Grid, www.genesisgrid.co.uk. And Peter and I will be back in two minutes as the Exxon continues from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell. Don't go away. Take a step back in time and discover old Florida cuisine at Marsh Landing Restaurant in Felsmere. Enjoy delicacies such as frog legs, gator tail, catfish, and swamp cabbage, or enjoy the more traditional cuisine like hand-cut Angus steaks, ribs, and seafood. Join us for breakfast with a southern flair featuring sweet potato pancakes, biscuits and gravy, and much more. Planning a party? Marsh Landing's private dining room can accommodate groups from 8 to 80 people. While you're visiting, enjoy the historic pictures, artifacts, and stories that line the walls. Marsh Landing is truly a unique experience. Marsh Landing Restaurant, 44 North Broadway in historic Felsmere. Or visit marshlandingrestaurant.com. Marsh Landing, old Florida cuisine at its best. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365. Are you interested in the paranormal, ghosts, UFOs, or psychic phenomenon? Join me, Tim Bartley, co-host of Talking to Spirits with Lightworkers Tim and Justina, coming mid-January 2017 to the XZBN. We will channel spirits live and talk to them, revealing all kinds of amazing information. Spiritual attachments will be found and removed on the show, and so much more. To find out when you can listen to Talking to Spirits with Lightworkers Tim and Justina, visit www. 
www.xzbn.net for listeners on both sides of the veil. Welcome back, everyone. Peter Wolford is my guest this hour, www.genesisgrid.co.uk. And um, before we get back to Peter, I'd just like to say hello to all the people that I had the pleasure of meeting with and working with this past weekend at the Body, Soul, Spirit Expo that was held at the International Center, 6900 Airport Road in Toronto. Special hello to Chandler and Brad, the organizers, and it was great working with you guys. I look forward to working with you in Calgary, in Edmonton, and in Vancouver. And to all the participants and the visitors, it was great meeting so many of you that, um, you know, it's because of you we do this show each and every night. So thank you very much for all your kind words. Peter Wolford is my guest, as I said, www.genesisgrid.co.uk. And uh, Peter, I see from uh, some of your new marketing material that you're, you, you've changed your concept of marketing. And now that you're, 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 you're advertising the moon, basically... Well, I've switched away from the German theme after three months uh, in the Nexus magazine. I felt that uh, fresh ad would be a good idea. I think that uh, no advertiser should uh, begin to, to sound like a scratched record. You mm-hmm. know? But Germany is as topical a subject as it ever was. Um, the moon I've chosen because, um, as mentioned previously, the, um, the eclipse is really at the center of what I have discovered. And when you look at the moon, you see evidence that it could, in fact, be a, an artificial satellite. It appears to be empty. It appears to have a hollow center because NASA found that when objects fell back on the moon, that it mm-hmm. actually rang like a bell for over three hours. So you're, so you're saying that the moon isn't really what we think it is, that it's actually an artificial satellite? And if it is, Peter, what's it an artificial satellite for? And what kind of evidence do you have to collaborate with your statement and your theory? Well, there are a number of books that have been written on this. I mean, there's one recent book by a couple of scientists called Who Made the Moon. Yeah, but they, um, they've never been to the moon, so how can they make these statements? Well, we have, and we've what we've Oh, found. we have, yes, we have. NASA has been, but, there, you know, how do you, how do you take the word of somebody who's just written a book that has never actually been part of the space program, actually seen or talked to the astronauts, and, and come up with a theory that the moon is an artificial satellite? Well, um, the reason that I think that it uh, is probably true is that, uh, firstly, the rocks scattered on the moon are, in fact, uh, found to be older than the, 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 the moon dust. And both have been found to be older than the Earth. Now, what uh, astronomers are saying about the moon is that uh, had it, was it a ca- if it was a captured body, then mm-hmm. it would have a more elliptical motion. So astronomers have been unable to explain the presence of the moon. Uh, all right, just because they can't explain the presence, Peter, doesn't mean that the moon is, is an artificial satellite. It just means they don't know how it happened. Yes, but I mean, I could also quote you Carl Sagan, who's dead now. But, but once again, he was never to the moon. He, no, was never he, part of the, he was never part of the NASA space team. No, but he was a scientist, and what he did say was that any, any, any heavenly body that was found to be hollow could hardly be expected to be a natural satellite. Once once again, Peter... I'm not being dogmatic about it. No, no, I I understand, Peter. I understand, but, you know, to, to, to come up with a statement that the moon is an artificial satellite based on 
what we know today doesn't mean it is it is so because going back 20 30 40 years ago we had mysteries at that time that we thought weren't natural that with the advent of of quantum physics and improved scientific technology we know for a fact that they are yes the point is about the moon that uh, it does raise a number raise a number of questions for which science have no answers and the fact that it appears to be either hollow or to have cavities within it is something that is nobody has been able to come up with an explanation. But once again, Peter, nobody has been able to prove that it is hollow and that it has caverns. Yes, but its mass is lower than you would have expect for a, a body of its size, and the evidence is that it is not consistently solid all the way through. Um, its surface is most unusual. Uh, mm-hmm. It has a high, very high level of heavy elements, which is the opposite way around to what you would expect from a naturally formed object. So what I'm saying to you, Rob, is that there are many mysteries about the moon, and perhaps the greatest is the fact that it does form a perfect eclipse with with a view to what we see from planet Earth when we see the eclipse with the moon moving in front of the sun. Uh That is a double coincidence. And uh, it's a double coincidence because not only do you get that perfect match, but it falls into the round number of 400. That's to say that the diameter of the sun can contain 400 moon diameters. So that is a double coincidence. And uh, Isaac Asimov said that this was the most unbelievable coincidence imaginable. So what I'm saying is, if, if everybody wants to just go on believing in coincidence, that's fine. But I have raised this as a point of interest. Okay, so tell me how this fits into Bible, into the Bible, the biblical times, and into the Genesis grid. Well, the um, what I noticed was this: that on reading a book by Ethelbert W. Bullinger, who was a theologian a hundred years ago, that the two leading personalities of the Bible are tagged with the numbers eleven and seven. Mm-hmm. From my superficial knowledge of astronomy, I also realized that the sun and the moon were tagged with those two numbers. So I went looking to investigate to see how thorough was the evidence that in fact those two heavenly bodies were also tagged with the numbers 11 and 7. And I found it to be surprisingly thorough. I also noticed that in the book of Genesis, the only symbols given at all were the symbols of the sun and the moon, and that they were given as symbols or monuments objects of monumental importance. I also noticed that the number 400, which is linked to the sun and the moon with regard to planet Earth, was mentioned in the book of Genesis. So, therefore, I thought, well, perhaps here is a structure, mm-hmm. a kind of uh, footprint, if you like, a cosmic footprint, of uh, something that we've not noticed before. And on that basis, I went investigating further to see what other supportive evidence uh, there was to the possibility that the two explicitly mentioned deities of the Bible were pictured by the sun and the moon. And the result, of course, is the book that I've written, The Genesis Grid. I look at the Bible and I say, you know, this was written by people so long ago, they had very little knowledge of the world around them. In fact, they thought the world was flat. Then when you look at what they wrote, why do people put so much faith, so much so much into a book that is so ancient, written by people who didn't know what the hell they were talking about? Well, a good question, but I think also realize that they didn't think the world was flat. And Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, does talk about the human beings likening to grasshoppers mm-hmm. sitting on the circle of the earth. 
so ancient people did have more astronomical knowledge than we grant them, but they certainly didn't have the kind of knowledge that it would take to know that the sun is 400 times further away than the moon. That, that, that would not be possible in the ancient world. Neither would be possible for them to know the digits of pi to the first 31 places. And I have proved, and I have invited academic criticism of this discovery, that the first chapter of Genesis is based on the first 31 digits of pi. Now, if I'm wrong about that, mm -hmm. let's have the mathemat mathematicians and the PhDs. Why, why, is this, why is this so important? Why do people need to know this? Because what it does, it is the first ever um, absolutely clinical and impartial proof that the Bible is inspired by a higher power, because it was simply not, in, not possible for people in the ancient world to have had this information at their fingertips. And, and, and that's the significance of it. That, I mean, I'm not telling you that the Bible is that's a separate subject and when I gave this presentation in university I did not say I'm here to tell you that the Bible is true what I'm here to because it could be like Alice in Wonderland sure you know it could be a load of you know yeah. um, funny stories we know who wrote the Alice in Wonderland that doesn't mean to say that it's true I'm not here for that purpose I told them I'm here for the narrow purpose of proving to you that there are patterns and structures in the Bible which could not possibly have been put there by the people who wrote it all right but once again Peter let me ask you this. How does that affect our day-to-day -day living? Like, is that a major... Should people say, wow, this is fascinating, and if it is, how does it affect my day-to-day -day living? Why do I need to know this? Is this information overload? Yes, I don't think so. The Bible is the most important book in the English language. That's right. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. The Bible is, is popular, but not everybody who speaks English believes in the Bible. Sure. So absolutely. why is this so important? That, I absolutely accept that. But my point is that if one, if one can prove scientifically that it must have been inspired, that it contains patterns and structures that could not possibly have been devised by the human authors, I think that's highly newsworthy. And also, the other thing is that if the book does contain insights into mm -hmm. our present world, that also might be very interesting when you consider that the world at the moment looks as if it's in meltdown. So, Peter, what are you saying that that with this is all part of a major plan? That there's a there's an ET script that has been written out there, and we're just a bunch of moronic uh, progs or or a bunch of puppets that are just being played by aliens. Well, um, I have avoided saying whether I think that the people behind the beings behind mm -hmm. this book are gods or whether they are aliens, whether they're green men whether they are interdimensional. I've avoided saying that. I right. do have comments at the end of the book. But what I have suggested is that, and I absolutely believe this, that um, there is a program of events uh, playing out on planet Earth. It's not that we're Muppets or that we're fixed, uh, but uh, if, if in fact we are in the grip of a flow of historic events. Uh, something that we've been born into, something that we have had no choice in. But if that is the case, then let it be shown that it is the case. And I have endeavored to do that in the book. And I do think that there is a structure to world history that has been reflected in key books of the Bible, such as Daniel and Revelation. This is not an original observation. Mm -hmm. 
thousands of people around the world have talked about this, written books about this. It's not an original observation, but I do think that I've found some very original evidence that it might actually be true. All right, Peter, stand by. We've got to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. Exonation. Peter Wolford is our special guest. www.genesisgrid.co.uk And I'll be back on the other side of the news as the Exxon continues from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell. Don't go away. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Welcome back, everyone. Peter Wolford is our guest to this hour. We're talking about The Genesis Grid, which has been authored by Peter, www.genesisgrid.co.uk. That's www.genesisgrid.co.uk. .co.uk. Peter, uh, when we were talking earlier about the two signs, the sun and the moon, representing biblical features, uh, who would these be? Well, the two principal personalities of the Bible are Jesus Christ and God the Father. Of course, God the Father is a New Testament personality, not mentioned in the Old Testament. But... um, this is where notions of Trinitarianism can cause a certain amount of confusion because um, people who are brought up in religious environments, which I certainly wasn't, mm-hmm. tend to assume that that is a Bible concept. Um, it isn't, and I think this is something that I can nail a bit harder in a future public presentation, um, really with a view to simply explaining clearly what the pattern that is in the Bible actually means and how it fits. The point is that if you have two great lights, if you talk about the kind of people who might teach normally in university professors, and people who you would describe as alumni in North America, alumni, light bringers. So really it's a question of recognizing what I have produced um, abundant proof of, that the two heavenly lights, which we can see from planet Earth, the sun and the moon, which are both the same size in the sky, represent the two primary personalities of the Bible. All right, if the sun and the moon represent God and Jesus, what credibility does this give the Bible? You've got me totally lost now. 
Well, I think that what this shows is that if you then investigate, you find that the symbolism fits because what the theologian Bullinger discovered was that the number seven was tagged in the Bible by multiples to the, to the name of Christ. And that similarly, the number 11 was tagged by multiples mm-hmm. to the name of the Father. And the amazing thing was that this particular expert who wrote about 100 years ago trawled the Bible and could not think of any explanation for this. The reason he couldn't think of an explanation was that he was locked into Trinitarian thinking. He couldn't see a similar pattern for what he would assume was the third personality, the Spirit, you see, the Holy Spirit. So he abandoned the search. But because I didn't have any such preconceived notion, I started with a clean sheet of paper, and I was able to show the pattern and show the structure of the grid and the fact that it does appear in the Bible. But Peter, and it is even, yeah, even appears twice in the first twenty-eight, the, the twenty-eighth verse of Genesis, for example. You know, going going through the world religions, uh, you know, the Bible isn't the only book that ever wrote or considered the sun to be God. You've got the Japanese who thought that, the, the you know, there was the sun was a goddess. You've got, let me see, Romans and Greece who, Grecians who thought the sun was a god, the Norse, the Hindu, the Aztec, the Incan, West African, Celtic. So what is so unique about putting God as the sun in the Genesis grid? Well, I think we have to distinguish between what we would worship as an object of a deity in itself mm-hmm. and what could be used as a symbol. Um, for example, if you go back to the Old Testament, you'll see that uh, there is a story about the Israelites um, when they were under the control of Moses. And what happened was that a lot of snakes came into the camp and were biting people. And so Moses said, right, I've got a stick here. I'm going to wrap a snake around it, a model. It actually had a model made. Mm-hmm. And we're going to hold it up in the air. And if you look at this stick, you'll be saved. You know, you won't, you won't die. So this is what happened. They made this stick on a pole, they held it up in the air. It looks just the same as the symbol that's used today for medical treatments, in fact. Uh, doctors have this sort of symbol, don't they, in the medical profession? But um, the point is that what Moses was doing in that story, he was not creating an object of worship. He was creating a symbol. And so we have to make the distinction between an object of worship and just a symbol. Now, hundreds of years after that, the Bible records that the king Hezekiah had this artifact destroyed. And he had it destroyed, even though it was probably of immense value, because people were worshipping it. So there's a difference between a symbol, and there's a difference between a symbol and and an object that to be bowed down. All right, so so let's let's take a look at that. And and you know, uh, let me see. Uh, before Apollo was the Greek sun god, Helios held that position, and they're gods, and that's in Greek mythology. So, and then I can go on with the Egyptians, the Egyptian, uh, the, an Egyptian god shown with a solar disk. Uh, you know, you had Ra, the, the, the sun god, and, and he was worshipped. The Norse had the same, the Romans had the same, the Hindus had the same, Aztec, Mesopotamia. So I, I am really at a loss to understand the significance of the god being the sun and Christianity and how this proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is an outside force that has influenced the creation of the Bible. Well, it would prove nothing on its own, of course. The proof comes when you look at all of the supportive evidence. 
But uh, so far as the sun is concerned, it was hardly surprising that people would adopt it as an mm-hmm. object of worship. Sure. I mean, it's so prominent, it's hardly surprising. My point is that it is mentioned within the first few verses of the Bible as a monument. And the moon, similarly, they're both mentioned in exactly the same vein. So when they're monuments, and when they are, according to astronomical knowledge and uh, scientific information, they are tagged with the numbers 7 and 11 in respect of the sunspot cycle, or the seven phases of the moon, and the fact that it has an albedo, a light-reflecting ability of 7, according to NASA. Um, they are tagged visibly now, who with tagged the numbers them? 7 and 11. Who tagged them with these numbers? Well, I'm saying that science has shown that they are tagged with these numbers, and they, that corresponds with the tagging in the Bible of the two leading personalities. But these are no more than clues on which one then follows up and a greater picture emerges. And that is what I set out to explain in the book and in my presentation. So, once once again, Peter, the number 7 attached and the number 11 attached, where did these numbers get attached and who did it? And when did they do it? Well, that's the whole point of the book. All I'm pointing out is that it would appear that we have astronomical signs in the skies that are beyond coincidence. And this is what I was saying earlier, that when you see how what a strange body the moon is, and when you see the strange phenomenon, the eclipses, and when you see that these two bodies, the sun and the moon, are tagged with the numbers 11 and 7, which just happen to correspond to the two leading personalities of the Bible, then that is sufficiently interesting to warrant further investigation. In and of itself, it proves nothing, Mm -hmm. but it does warrant further investigation. What are you hoping to prove, Peter, by bringing this information forward, by by having scholars challenge it? And, And what will this mean to John Q. Public? Well, I'm... All I'm actually doing is making available an important discovery. The fact that I've made this discovery, as far as I'm concerned, is purely random. But it is too important to leave it unpublished. It is too important to leave it unpresented. And I thought that after two years of putting this information in the public domain and collecting a few uh, reviews from academics and others, business people, that it was time to have another little push and see what further reaction I could get. Because at the end of the day, Bob, I say to you, I say to any scientist, you give me, you show me where this pattern is wrong. You show me where the logical step is missing, where the false premise or the false assumption is made. And I will give you a cash prize of a thousand pounds. I have been in the homes of PhD qualified mathematicians, two at a time, and slapped down bundles of 20 pound notes on the windowsill and said to them, right, let's start. And we've gone through my slides. Mm-hmm. And with the mounting frustration as the evening went on, they found they were not able to gainsay anything in my discovery. It all stacks up. All right, it all stacks up to what avail, though? Well, in a way, do I, am I really responsible to have to explain that? Do I have to tell you why the Bible exists? But, but you're, the one, you're, you're the one who's... How would I know? See, well, what, what you've done is you've brought out this saying this is an important discovery. So tell me why it's important. Because it proves the inspiration of the Bible by someone or something. I think that's pretty important. And I think that when you consider that the world's greatest religions claim mm-hmm. to base their beliefs on the Bible, you could hardly say that something that proves it's inspired 
is of no significance. But it's we, very significant. We also know for a fact, Peter, that there is a lot of lost knowledge, great lost knowledge that the ancients had. Is it possible that this was just one of those things the ancients had knowledge of and they threw it in to just kind of stir the pot that someday, somewhere, someone was going to take this and notice that they've put in this calculation. It's just like stirring up the pot or, or trying to figure out the commercial where they try to figure out how they put the bubbles inside the arrow bar. Sure. It's a good question to ask and an absolutely necessary question, and the whole thing really hinges on this. Can, can it be shown that the ancients knew this? It can't, though, Rob, because if you follow the development, for example, of the, the digits of pi, um, it wasn't until the 16th century that we knew 30 digits of pi. And as for 115 million digits of pi, and the Genesis grid fits a self-characteristic pattern appearing 115 million places down the number pi, uh, clearly you need computers to get those kinds of values. So, um, as I say, this has been shown to physicists. I, I showed this pattern mm -hmm. to a PhD physicist in Cambridge six years ago who told me within an hour, he said, you have a pattern. This was a man who learned Hebrew in his childhood, who looked at the pattern that I'd shown in the 28th, for example, the 28th verse of the Bible. He said, yes, you have a pattern. You have a patent in Pi. I have a mathematician in Watford, PhD qualified, economist, in fact, with a master's in maths and philosophy, who says, yes, after all these years, he's seen the discovery five, six years ago. He said, you have found a patent in Pi. So, well, what, what, you know, when I get these kind of people with the, the, the best analytical mm -hmm. skills in the world saying this to me, I'm inclined to, to believe that I've found something. But what about the, 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 the historians and the scientists who come up and say the ancient Babylonians were using pi, ancient Egyptians were using pi? And they weren't. The ancient Egyptians didn't have a decimal system. What they had was a fraction which approximated pi to about three. So they didn't use pi in the modern sense at all. We have 3.14159. They didn't have fractions. They didn't have a decimal system. All right, so, so what about this formula that, that the ancient Egyptians used to calculate the area of a circle, which is close bracket, open, uh, open uh, half bracket, 8D, close bracket, forward slash 9, close square bracket to the second power. According to yes. scientists, that yields uh, 3.1605. Yes. Well, I quote that in the book. The whole point is I give the entire history of the development of pi there to show how difficult it would be for Moses to know uh, the first 31 oh, digits of Okay, pi. but Moses came after the ancient Egyptians, or at the same time, the, you know, Moses came after the, the ancient Babylonians who used pi, except their pi came to 3.125. Yeah, well, as I say, they didn't have a, a decimal system, so it was not possible to know the first 31 digits of pi. Uh, okay, so, um, so what I'm trying to say, Peter, is that Pi has been around for a long, long, long time, may not with the same figure, conf uh, figure configuration, but the Pi is not, is not that new. Well, uh, I think it is in terms of the Bible and certainly the first 31 digits. But remember, not only was Pi a problem for Moses, but to know that the relative distance of the sun and the moon were 400 would have not been possible either. Um, the fact is that when you look at uh, the other aspects of my discovery, the fact, for example, that uh, the number 44 is encoded not only in the Bible repeatedly as a number of reproduction, but is also encoded in the human body, they couldn't possibly have known this. What a what coincidence. Uh, you know, I, I'm listening and I'm saying, okay, so maybe this is just coincidence. 
yeah, I think you have to ask those questions. The world is full of coincidence. And I think at the end of the line, I think we really see one man's proof is just another man's clues. I think it's the case that it's almost, well, it is impossible yeah. really to prove anything to anybody, isn't it? And we've all got different ways of proving things, and we, we can all have a different level of tolerance when it comes to believing in coincidence. Sure. You know, I, what I'm saying, Peter, is I, I, I thoroughly enjoy your book. But at the end of the day, how does it affect my life? I don't put credence in the Bible. I think it was a book that was written so that people of an older time could explain the existence around them. If the people who wrote the Bible had the experience, the knowledge, the foresight, and the education that we all have today, the Bible wouldn't be written. Well, yes, but that would be true of any book in any age. Exactly. So how does that affect me? Rob McConnell, well, how does that affect my family? How does that affect the, the other citizens of Canada? Answer this question for me when we come back from this two-minute break. Okay. Exonation, Peter Wolford is our special guest, www.genesisgrid.co.uk, and we'll be back on the other side of this commercial as the Exxon continues. Where? Right here, live and around the world from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. We'll be right back. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Hi, I'm Larry Lawson, host of Paranormal Stakeout. With over 36 years in law enforcement, I have learned a few things. The most important is the proper gathering and preservation of evidence is vital to putting the bad guy behind bars. It's no different in the world of paranormal investigation, whether it's the search for the afterlife, cryptozoology, UFOs, and extraterrestrials. How we gather the evidence, preserve that evidence, and present it to a jury of our peers will make the ultimate difference in proving the existence of worlds and entities that are beyond our imagination. Join me, Larry Lawson, every week on Paranormal Stakeout when, along with my guests, we'll take a journey to prove with indisputable evidence what man has struggled to believe for centuries. Go to xzbn.net for the broadcast schedule and check me out at paranormalstakeout.com. True healing must address four levels, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, for us to live joyful and productive lives. We tend to treat three of the four, leaving the spiritual languishing. If you're tired of the same dysfunctional patterns cropping up in your life, soul balancing is for you. Trixie Phelps, owner and founder of Soul Balancing, is a naturally gifted energy healer trained in numerous esoteric forms, including shamanism. Trixie has created a powerful modality that safely and effectively clears your energetic field. A soul balancing session can remove interference, heal trauma, and restore your hope. Contact Trixie for a life-changing long-distance session today, www.soulbalancing.world.
Peter Wolford is my guest, www.genesisgrid.co.uk. That's www.genesisgrid.co.uk. Peter is the author of, of a great book. I really enjoy reading the, the, uh, the Genesis Grid. It has a lot of valuable information in it that asks, that begs you to ask many more questions. But Peter, as I said before we went to the commercial break, how does the Genesis Grid affect my daily life? I think in this way that um, everybody is very concerned, and I'm sure this is true of people in Canada, about what is happening in Europe. In fact, what's happening in Europe is so serious that it's blown the Middle East off completely off, off, off the scales of, of interest. Mm-hmm. I mean, we hardly ever hear anything about the Middle East now because Europe is, 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 so, is, is, is so preoccupying everybody's minds and worrying everybody. What's going to happen next? Every day brings another horror of, you know, imminent bank collapse well you know i, I must um, t- i must be honest with you in today's news europe wasn't it wasn't spoken about once it was uh, syria was our major story here and rightfully so but as yeah. far as what's going on in europe and the economic uh, a, a, the economy nothing absolutely yeah. nothing but, but the whole economic world economic system is threatened by it in fact and the point about europe is this that as i've said in the book um i have shown and it's not an original observation mm-hmm. that the uh, major empires of the world have been catalogued by a kind of skeletal, stru- skeletal structure of world events mapped out in the Bible a long time ago in the book of Daniel and Revelation. Um, and it can be clearly shown by counting that the fifth in a series of seven resurrections of the Holy Roman Empire in Europe was uh, Napoleon, the, the, that was the fifth, the sixth was the Hitler-Mussolini Pact. And the seventh is what you see forming today. So this certainly will affect everybody in the world, including those in Canada. Well, I certainly think that the the the, uh, the major story in Europe is the the um, the the um, oh my gosh, the Vatican and the information, the leaks, and the framing of a poor butler and everything else. I think that the Vatican itself is in a big turmoil, and we're going to see the fall of the Catholic Church very shortly. Well, I think the Catholic Church is, is the oldest uh, institution in the world, mm-hmm. appears to be. Um, I don't think it's going to fall any time soon. It's very, very powerful. But that is very much part of the narrative in my book, as you know, because uh, what I'm suggesting is that this final and seventh resurrection of the so-called Holy Roman Empire will in, involve not just politicians, but it will in church, uh, involve uh, religious leaders as well. And uh, the Bible makes it quite clear that there will be two leading personalities who burst onto the world stage. It's in the book of Revelation. One will be called the beast, and the other will be called the the false prophet. You will have a politician, probably a German politician, but we don't know that for sure. And we will have a religious leader, probably a pope, but we don't know that for sure. But these two will burst forth on the world scene. Do you want to hear my solution for world peace? Yeah. Get rid of every religion. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. It's that simple. It's causing more trouble than yeah. religion. Hey, Peter, we have to say so long for today. I always look forward to talking to you, my friend. We'll speak to you in a couple of weeks. Until then, take care of yourself, and Excellent. thanks very much nice for joining call. us, Peter. Bye-bye now. Thank you. Bye-bye. Peter Wolford has been my guest this hour, www.genesisgrid.co.uk. That's www.genesisgrid.co.uk. And we apologize for the quality of that call. There was a problem with the transatlantic lines. We'll get Peter back on again to uh, get some more answers about the Genesis Grid. Exonation, I hate to say it. Actually, no, I don't hate to say it. But in my opinion, you want world peace? 
get rid of religion. We've outgrown it. We don't need it. This is where the problem is. People think religion outweighs everything else, which it really doesn't. I'll be back on the other side of this news break. Don't go away. Thank you.